are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with Cyrus Satsas from Locked On Warriors at Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole, both receiving sizable contract extensions, as well as checking in on the Warriors in the aftermath of the Draymond Green-Jordan Poole situation. Then, we'll be chatting with Ben Beacon from Locked On Wolves as Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns share the court for the first time ever. How did the Twin Towers duo look for the Minnesota Timberwolves? Then, lastly, we chat with Andy Kamenetsky from Locked On Lakers as Rob Palenka receives a contract extension carrying him through the 2025-2026 season. Plus, Russell Westbrook, a realignment in place by Darvin Ham, the Lakers head coach, with Russell Westbrook apparently maybe coming off the bench this season for the L.A. Lakers. Now, as always, appreciate you for making Lockdown NBA your first listen each and every day. We are free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Joining us now is Cyrus Satsas from Locked On Warriors. You can follow on Twitter at Dog Surf Roadshow. Cyrus, Warriors handing out a lot of money over this last weekend. Andrew Wiggins inking his four-year extension for $109 million. And then Jordan Poole, the pool party, inking his extension for four years, $140 million. Let's start with... We'll start with the Andrew Wiggins one here because I feel like Andrew Wiggins is currently undergoing one of the best like NBA redemption arcs just across the board because he was at a point in his career where it felt like he was kind of cast away. He was a throw in, right? Like a salary dump for D'Angelo Russell back when the trade originally happened picks being given to get away from his deal. And now he's turned into a valuable player for a championship caliber Warriors organization was a pivotal part of their run this past season. And he's now earned himself a, a, a permanent home, a future in the Bay area. And, you know, he's going to be the starting, you know, a starting caliber piece for this team for years to come. How do you feel about just seeing where he was when he first got to golden state and to where he is now and how important he is to this organization? Yeah, first things first, um, great to see you, man. And I don't know um, necessarily if I agree with the notion that it was just he was just thrown in as a salary match to make the trade happen. I think the Warriors actually saw something in him, um, and they saw that he, would, he could be a great fit. And given their track record of just developing talent, um, getting the best out of players, uh, you know, I yeah, I, I think they actually saw – I don't know if they saw this level of greatness, but – I think they did see a player in Wiggins who can actually fit in and contribute and make a difference because even at that stage of his career where, you know, he was putting up the emptiest stats ever with the Minnesota Timberwolves, um, you could still make the argument he was as good, if not better, than Harrison Barnes. And the Warriors were winning championships with Harrison Barnes. So for them, Wiggins was actually an ideal fit, but I don't think anyone, you know, foresaw him turning into this. Um, Look, first of all, this is the most expensive PR campaign in NBA history. Uh, because all of a sudden people are not nearly as mad as at the Warriors as they used to be when it comes to Draymond Green. Uh, the fan base um, is already largely forgetting about it. I don't know if they'll like fully forget. And I don't speak on, on behalf of the entire fan base in saying this because there's still a lot of people that are just very perturbed by the whole incident. They're they're kind of over Draymond Green and his antics. But at the same time, I mean, look, this is a sport. It's a getaway, and you know the Warriors are the defending world champions. They have the potential to be, you know, repeat champions. Uh, You know, their depth is incredible. So 
Um, the Wiggins extension, while a little surprising, I mean, I didn't see anyone bring it up at all or predict it. Um, it's awesome. I mean, it's it removes a, a distraction from the team in terms of, you know, what's going to happen next year. Uh, it's a relatively bargain deal in the sense that he's actually taking a pay cut from his current salary. Although I think that was envisioned given, you know, that that last salary was a max deal that I don't think he would have gotten anywhere. It's just that was a lot of money. But so he takes a pay cut, still gets paid, you know, handsomely, um, you know, and now he's a long term fixture. And and I think everyone's happy. I don't I don't really see anyone who's looking at this in another way. So, you know, one positive step for the Warriors. Absolutely. And again, you know, couldn't be happier for for Andrew Wiggins, you know, finding a home and, and finding a lot of, you know, NBA success after, like you said, some, you know, not so great years there with the, the Minnesota Timberwolves. And just real quick, Jackson, uh, if I don't, go ahead. if you don't mind me interjecting real quick, Wiggins is also an example of what happens to, to a player who might not be comfortable taking the vaccine, but still did it anyways. Um, he got rewarded, you know, he sucked it up. He did something he didn't want to do. And he got his contract extension. Meanwhile, a certain player for the Brooklyn Nets uh, maintains that, you know, he, you know, he had the right to do it, but it cost him a lot of money. And it's just, a, a you know, a tale of two sides when it comes to, uh, you know, two individuals who both had feelings about the vaccine in terms of not wanting to take it. Uh, but Wiggins decided to suck it up um, and he got rewarded for it. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Some very, some very similar circumstances there. Um, so, you know, two sides of, uh, you know, different coin yeah, or same yeah. coin, I guess I should say. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the other guy here that received a ton of money, um, Jordan Poole could not be, could not be timed better. Like you said, uh, you know, almost the perfect PR campaign spin, yes. right? Where, Hey, yeah. you have all this Draymond Green stuff happening. It's like, Hey, we're, you know, rolling out the Brinks truck for Andrew Wiggins and for Jordan Poole. It's crazy to think that the word luxury tax bill further than the line might be greater than their overall payroll bill, which is even just absurd to think about. But, you know, shout out to the Warriors organization for putting their money where their mouth is and being willing to pay for a championship world-class organization talent level across the board. And Jordan Poole, right, he absolutely earned this deal. He came out, you had people calling him the the third splash brother last season. And so, you know, from your standpoint, was was giving him the extension the right move? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a lot of money. You're right. It's $140 million extension over four years, kicks in next year. Um, so he's going to be averaging about, what, $35 million a year, I believe. Yeah, I absolutely think he was deserved. This is someone who is uh, 23 years old and averaged nearly 20 a game last year. He's a favorite to win uh, the sixth man of the year award. A lot of money for a bench player, too, by the way, because um, that's what his role is. He's going to come off the bench in a lot of games. Um, well, you you also kind of project him to, you know, as, as Steph and Clay, I know it's, you know, it's terrible, you know, heresy to even think about this, but as those guys age out, you know, or down the line, you know, take lesser roles, whatever, you kind of envision Jordan Poole stepping into a starter role conceivably further down the line, right? So you're not yeah, necessarily yeah, but, paying but who, just for correct. a bench guy. But but who knows when, right? I mean, I don't see Good Clay point. stepping back anytime soon. I don't I don't I don't see either Steph or Clay just, you know, moving on uh, for years. So I mean, look, I, this being a starter to me has always been overrated. It's all about who finishes the games and um, what you're actually contributing during the game itself. He is a high volume player in terms of minutes. But I mean, it's I mean, the whole thing is crazy. I mean, Bob Myers came out today in the press conference and um, yeah, just just highlighted the fact that Paul got this extension because of his work ethic. That is like the, the, the thing he highlighted repeatedly. Um, and it makes sense. Jordan Poole is someone who like loves to work. And Bob Myers was being very pragmatic and saying that 
you don't find that every day. And, and especially for the common fan, uh, you know, who might think all these athletes are just busting their ass 24 seven, not always the case. A lot of these people are human beings, just like you and I, who just some days just don't feel it and maybe don't give hundred percent or um, don't want to come. And their attitudes reflect that Jordan Poole is someone who um, him and Stephen Curry are always the two earliest players of practice. Um, they get their hours before everyone else. And Jordan Poole loves the game of basketball. All that's all he wants to do. Um, in fact, when he was asked questions and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm, uh, you know, jumping ahead here, but you know, when he was asked about like Draymond green, like he really just skirted over that. and was just talking basketball. And then, he loves the game. Um, and as someone who uh, is relatively young, he's 23, he averaged nearly 20 uh, a clip last season. So I, I envision his scoring average going up. You're right. He's a successor long-term to like Curry or Thompson. He's kind of like in between the two in some weird way as an, as an athlete and, and player. Um, but yeah, it's just good vibes all around and the Warriors needed that. So yeah, I'm calling this the most expensive PR campaign in NBA history for a reason, because uh, it costs them a ton of money. Um, but suddenly there are smiles abound, uh, Chase Center. And last thing here on the vibe check, you just mentioned him there moments ago, Draymond Green. How did uh, Green and Poole look, you know, in tandem, sharing the court together? You know, are, are they, does, does everything seem to be okay, at least, you know, as appearances go, sharing the floor, um, you know, any issues in that regard? I, I, there's nothing that came out as a flag, but um, there were some noticeable differences in the routine in the last preseason game, um, like Draymond Green, for example, uh, was the last player to come out for pregame warmups. Normally, he comes out earlier with his teammates. This time, he was alone. Um, I, I, you know, the, the NBA's opened up locker rooms again this year for the first time in, in three or four years. Um, but they've also uh, recalibrated their their media credentialing system, where there's a lot less credentials issued for media to get into the locker room. So that so I, I used to always go in there and. Um, that number's really just been whittled down to like beat reporters and, and really long-term media members. So I actually don't have locker room access this year, which kind of sucks. I don't know what you're, if you can get in there or not. Um, are you, are you tier one? Do they, it's situational. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So anyways, the point is, um, I did hear, uh, that in the locker room, neither player are, have, have been seen in there together. Um, usually their Draymond's just in there or just pools just in there. You know, we don't know if it's like circumstantial. Um, we don't know if that's intentional and not necessarily in terms of like animosity or awkward feelings, but because they don't want the media to see them together and then start, you know, being body language experts. Um, you know, so they did they did communicate on the court. Uh, you know, everything looked fine in terms of their play, um, which, you know, typically is what we're talking about, although in this case, it's a little different. Um, you know, I. So nothing out of the norm in terms of the game itself, really. Pool, uh, uh, Pool and Draymond, or I'm sorry, Draymond was like a little isolated during the game at the end of the bench, um, which seemed a little out of the norm. But then at a, during a period in the game, Pool and Green were sitting next to each other and, and they were seen talking. So who knows? I, I feel like I'm turning into a TMZ, like one of these celebrity body language types. I don't want to do that. All, all I could tell you is, um, yeah, clearly there's something off here. I mean, Jordan Poole, uh, said at the press conference and Jordan Poole is not someone who likes dealing with the media to begin with. Um, so it's for him, it's never fun. Like this is not his favorite part of the job is answering questions. And so when he came out today for the, for the press conference, he immediately said that, um, yeah, him and Draymond talked, Draymond apologized, but I also want to just talk about basketball and a couple of media members tried to get questions in there and 
um, he just reiterated that, you know, the focus is basketball and winning championships. And, um, you know, so he didn't really reveal much. And again, this is something that I think between those two will blow over in ter- if it hasn't already in terms of just any animosity. I also want to um, uh, finish up on this note, too, because I don't hear a lot of people talking about this. Um, but when you bring up the fact that the Warriors might have this huge luxury tax penalty next year, uh, we're talking like over $500 million. Um, what is not being discussed, and it should be discussed because it's re- very relevant, is that um, the NBA's collective bargaining agreement expires this year. There's going to be a new CBA next year. And at least from my sources, uh, you know, and, and brought these sources on Locked on Warriors, um, every indication is that they're going to revise the CBA to stop penalizing teams um, in terms of luxury tax, penal- luxury tax penalties uh, for their own draft picks because it goes against the very spirit of the rule. Like the only reason why you would maintain the rule uh, with the next CBA is just to punish the Warriors. There's like no other good reason for that. And so part of me wonders if Lacob and Gruber, the owners of the Warriors, at least the managing the the, the managing partners and, and the, the predominant uh, owners, um, if they have some sort of inkling, if, they, if they've read some tea leaves in terms of being aware of, of rule changes in the CBA next year. So there is a very strong possibility they, in fact, will not be paying much in terms of luxury tax penalties um, because the only player that's making a lot of money on the roster who was not drafted um, is Andrew Wiggins. Uh, the Warriors have just been wildly successful in terms of, of you know, their draft picks. And, um, you know, while the penalty would still be there for the Clippers, Lakers, teams like that, uh, the Warriors probably would not face much, if any, of a penalty. Maybe it would be minor because they are paying a lot of players, uh, you know, max or near max deals. Um, but it remains to be seen what that figure is. So I just want people to be cognizant of the fact that maybe it will not be a $500 million plus payroll for the Warriors next year. It might be somewhere in like two, 300, still a lot of money, but not 500, <laughs> like half billion, you know? Yeah, no, Hey, that, that's a, that's a fantastic note. And Hey, will, will the CP, will the new CBA be favorable to the golden state warriors? Will Draymond green and Jordan Poole be able to kind of coexist as we navigate the season and, you know, kind of keep tabs on what their relationship looks like moving forward. Of course, you're gonna have us cover for all of that and more over at locked on Warriors. Cyrus, I appreciate you stopping by locked on NBA with me. Anytime, man. This and I hope this time we don't get the maybe you want the attention we got last time. Uh, <laughs> our segment last week blew up, man. Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that level of attention, but uh, yeah, but thanks. Thanks as always, Jackson. Always a pleasure, man. <laughs> Coming up, how do the Twin Towers in Minnesota look? Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns playing together for the first time. We're going to get there after a quick message from our friends over at LinkedIn. Because look, these days, hiring new candidates can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best, most qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free, and it is so easy to create a free job post on LinkedIn Jobs, and once you do that, all you have to do is add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you are hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it super easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash MBA. That's linkedin.com slash MBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
And continuing on here at Locked on NBA Monday, as always, appreciate you for making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is Ben Beacon, the host of Locked on Wolves. You can follow on Twitter at B Beacon. Now, Ben, one of the biggest stories of the offseason was the Minnesota Timberwolves acquiring former Utah Jazz star big man Rudy Gobert. And we had to wait until the very final Wolves preseason game to even get a glimpse at what he and Ru- and, and uh, Carl Anthony Towns would look like in the, in the front court for the Wolves together. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment, how, they, how those two kind of coexisted on the floor with one another, but but I got to ask you right out right from the jump, why did we have to wait until the final Wolves preseason game to get to see those two guys actually share the court together? Yeah, it was a combination of factors. Carl Anthony Towns had a, a non-COVID illness that actually he was hospitalized for a few days right at the start of training camp. So he actually missed media day, missed the full first week of training camp, um, and then came back to practice right when preseason games started. And so he was sick, uh, started practicing, and then Rudy sat out a couple of games because he played in Eurobasket and really didn't get much of an offseason. And so there was like two games where Rudy played, a game where neither played, then one game that Towns played that Rudy sat out, and then the last preseason game they both played. So it was it was a it was a combination of factors, but uh, it was good to finally see them on the floor together. And so <laughs> I don't know if we should if if we should take too much from this game because they wound up the one yeah. preseason game that they lost was the one game where they both played. So right. I'm sure there's going to be some you know doubters who are like, ah, I told you so. It's not going to work. You give us your two cents on, on what it looked like with those two guys actually sharing the floor, some of the highs, some of the lows from their their one game sample size playing together. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly clunky at times. Um, I mean, the, the lane was clogged because you've got two guys who are very you know, their role was, I mean, obviously Towns, Towns is a, a much more diverse and um, effective offensive game than Rudy Gobert, but Gobert is arguably the best roller in the league. He played a lot of, did a lot of pick and roll in Utah with Donovan Mitchell and others. And Carl Teddy Towns did a lot of pick and roll in Minnesota with D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards. And they're both used to rolling to the basket. They're both used to kind of hanging out down near the paint, uh, depending on the set that, you know, that they're running. And so there wasn't a whole lot of space. Um, and clearly there, there's going to be a, a pretty big learning curve. And so like Anthony Edwards had a pretty bad game on Friday. And I think part of that was because he was trying to figure out like, Hey, there's, there's a lot of guys in the paint right now. Typically the wolves could space out towns would be outside the arc. And, but in this case, obviously Rudy's not going to stray too far from the paint. So it was certainly clunky, but there were also some possessions that were a ton of fun. I mean, there was cat driving from the left slot, getting into the paint and throwing a no look, you know, wraparound pass to Rudy for an and one dunk. Um, there were a couple of plays like that that were just absolutely tantalizing. Like, hey, they could they could do this thing and space out, have Rudy in the dunker spot. Anybody can drive to the basket. You could do a big, big pick and roll with Cat and Rudy. Um, there were a couple of other possessions where there were just kind of like secondary actions where you, like they ran a couple of different horn sets where both guys were on the elbows and they did some cross screen action and Towns is deadly from anywhere. And Rudy is the best in the league in terms of role gravity and sucking the defense into the paint and creating space for Towns. So while it was certainly clunky, they lost the game. Um, you know, neither guy played a full, uh, they, they weren't great with both players on the floor, but each of them was around 30 minutes, a little bit less. So they didn't play full games either. Um, you could definitely see a lot of the fun, you know, Chris Fitch is going to have a ton of fun, you know, messing with his different offensive sets throughout the season. And then how, how did they look on the other side of the, uh, of the court? Cause obviously we, we kind of know what Rudy Gobert brings to the table defensively. He's basically like yeah. a walking top 10 defense ended up, you know, by himself, but, but how did he kind of match up when, when he and towns were on the floor sharing that side of the court together? Yeah, for the most part, they played drop pick and roll coverage, which is what Utah did pretty exclusively with Gobert. And the Wolves can do that with Gobert. They can't really do that with Towns. Towns isn't great 
there. For the most part, they did that and pick and roll and Rudy was guarding fives, although they they can flip it. And they did that a, a couple of times in the game where Towns was guarding the five. And then you can let Rudy kind of roam like whoever the, the worst offensive players on the other team, that's Rudy's man. And then he can also just kind of roam into the paint and block shots, which is how Utah defended the Wolves in the past was Rudy didn't guard Towns. He just kind of lurked and he guarded Jared Vanderbilt last year. Um, so that's another option for the Wolves. I actually thought they played pretty well defensively against Brooklyn on Friday. Um, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving both just went off, especially in the first half, and they had a great offensive game. The Wolves were pretty good. They they were a little over aggressive at times. It's almost like they forgot that Rudy was there to to bail them out at the rim. Um, because last year the Wolves played this this like pretty exclusively. They played like an aggressive blitzing defense on the perimeter where he had Ant jumping passing lanes, and last year was Pat Bev and Jared Vanderbilt trying to just get steals and get out and run. And they don't need to do that this year. Like sometimes I think you can mix it in maybe when Rudy's off the floor, but when Gobert's on the floor, just play solid defense and let Rudy clean up, clean up your mess. I mean, already the perimeter defense should be better than it was in Utah. So you're not going to leave Gobert on an island too often. So um, it, it looked good. Like I thought and it was a decent defense last year, but like you said, Rudy should automatically make this team a top 10 defense. They just need to kind of clean up some of the missed assignments and, and remember like, Hey, he's on the back line and he's going to bail you guys out. If you let somebody get into the paint. What what to you, Ben, is going to be kind of just the biggest adjustment for those two just to start learning how to kind of thrive with one another on the floor, sh sharing those minutes together? I think it's offense. I think it's spacing. Um, you know, we saw what teams defensively, we saw what teams did last year to Utah in terms of playing five out and making Rudy kind of, you know, play two guys on the same possession. I don't think that's going to be a huge issue. Towns is good enough defensively. They've got enough perimeter defenders. They'll figure it out on defense. Um, a good defensive team adding arguably the best defender in the league. They'll figure it out. Offensively, it's going to be some of the spacing stuff. It's going to be, you know, Towns prefers to pop and Gobert obviously prefers to roll. But Towns also rolled sometimes last year. And and what if Rudy's not involved in the action and he's just kind of lurking in the dunker spot? That's a pretty, um, it's a player who wants the ball in his hands in, in, in Rudy Gobert as well. He's not Jared Vanderbilt. Like he's going to expect the ball. So I think kind of figuring that out for Ant and D'Lo to figure out where they fit in, it's going to take some time. Um, I said this on the show after the Brooklyn game Friday, the Wolves play like they did against the Nets on Friday. You know, they play like Oklahoma City twice and they have a pretty easy schedule to start. I think they win most of those games. So it's it's kind of nice in that they get a little bit of runway to figure it out. And then the hope is, though, that you figure it out before you start playing, you know, the really good, the Phoenixes who they play in a couple weeks, or it could get pretty ugly because the offense was definitely clunky and it's it's going to take a minute to to make sure it rounds into form. Yeah, I've got the I've got the T-Wolves kind of painted as my Western Conference team to take a significant jump this year. I kind of have them yeah. painted as like a, a 50 win plus team just because of of how much Rudy Gobert adds defensively. And then they were already, you know, a really potent offensive team as well. Um, you mentioned his name a couple moments or, you know, a couple times there a few moments ago, Ben. But Jaden McDaniels reportedly going to be the starting three for this this Wolves team. How important is he to what Chris Finch and the organization really want to try and achieve defensively in conjunction with obviously the addition? of Rudy Gobert. Yeah, I think um, I think this term gets overused, but I, I think he is the X factor for this team. You kind of already know what, you know, we know what Rudy and Kat are. Obviously, things are going to shift. We know what Ant, I mean, Ant should take a leap and, and that's, you know, I, I think we're kind of penciling that in and maybe we should be careful there. But Ant's obviously, we, we mostly know what he is or what he's going to be. Same with D'Lo. Jade McDaniels is the guy who, you know, reportedly they refused to include in the Rudy Gobert trade. They said, no, take more picks. We want to keep Jaden McDaniels. Um, and he hasn't, you know, he's, he's shown flashes of being like a true, like an all defense, all NBA defensive team type player, but it hasn't been consistent enough. The offense, you know, it's a below average three point, uh, jump shot that McDaniels has. There's some work he's got to do there. 
where does he fit in with this team moving forward? I, but I do think he has the upside of being their best perimeter defender. Right now, I would say Ant is actually a better perimeter defender than Jade McDaniels. But McDaniels has all the tools, right? He's long, he's athletic, he's quick um, laterally. He has the size to guard fours uh, in terms of his length, but the quickness to guard some twos and threes. So if he can like really lock in, the biggest issue for him is foul trouble. And he picked up three quick ones on Friday against Brooklyn. If he can stay out of foul trouble and just kind of refine some of the tools he's got, the raw tools he's got on defense, um, then yeah, then, then, then he's going to be a huge part of this defense. You're looking at Rudy. Ant and Jaden McDaniels as your plus defenders, um, assuming Ant takes another incremental step forward. It's going to be a really good defense. And McDaniels, there's offensive upside too. We just don't know yet what exactly that's going to look like because he's clearly the fifth option in the starting lineup. You, you you talked about and you know saving the best for last year I guess with with Anthony Edwards but you, yeah you said maybe you know maybe that we shouldn't be penciling in a, a year three leap for Ant I mean I kind of think just you look at his career progression to this point I think it makes a lot of sense that he's going to take another jump this year yeah. the pre the preseason numbers don't exactly jump off the page but it's preseason so you know kind of who cares um, but I mean what are you hoping to see what are your kind of expectations for Ant coming into this season to to have yet another jump in his you know career trajectory. Yeah, I mean, I think so. The trajectory that I like comparing this to is is John Morant, and obviously that would be massive. Morant went from like a fringe All Star, not quite an All Star player, his second year to you know probably a top ten player in the league this year or coming out of last year. That's the type of jump. And if you actually look at the first two seasons of John Morant's career, and the first two of Ant's, they're really similar in terms of efficiency. Um, you know, getting to the line. Now, Ant's already a better defender than John Morant is today, and I think that gives him a big edge. Um, he's a significantly better defender. He's got more size. Um, and he's also a better perimeter shooter, but Jaws obviously incredible going to the basket and Ant's got to improve around the basket. That's the type of leap that I think if that happens, I mean, this is a, easily a 50 plus win team, if not, you know, a top three seed in the West, that's where I just want to be a little cautious. Like that's what we should be hoping for. And I think it's realistic. We saw a couple different playoff games. There were some other flashes last year. Where it's like, if Ant plays like this, it's over. I mean, he's a top 10 player immediately. Um, but like you said, preseason has been a little bit rough and and you don't want to take, put too much stock into it, but um, you know, he still has those games where he's a little disinterested and, and you know, the, the pull-up threes are way too, way too attractive for him versus getting into the paint and trying to get to the line, you know, shying away from contact sometimes. So it's finding that balance and, and the consistency is really, and, and of course I'm nitpicking because he's phenomenal, but that's what needs to happen. He's to bring it every single night. He needs to be more comfortable going to the basket versus shooting pull-up jumpers uh, because the, the jumper's there if he needs it, but he's going to be so much more efficient and, and open up the rest of his game if he goes to the, the paint more often. So um, I, I really think that that the sky is the limit, obviously, for Ant. But if he can make a John Morant-like leap, I mean, look out for where this Wolves team could go this year. How will the Twin Towers experiment look as the Wolves start the season between Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns? Will Anthony Edwards be in store for a year three leap similar to John Morant? Of course, you're going to have us cover for all of that and more over at Locked on Wolves. Ben, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Of course. Thanks, Jackson. Coming up, Rob Palinka gets a contract extension with the LA Lakers, but has he really done anything to deserve it? And also, Russell Westbrook may be coming off the bench under head coach Darvin Ham. We're going to talk about that in just a moment after a quick message from our friends over at Bet Online because BetOnline.net remains your number one source for all of your football betting info and odds this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every single game that you can get your hands on. Right now, you can take a look at the odds on favorites to win the NBA title this season. you got the Golden State Warriors 
Rangers leading the pack at plus 575. Boston Celtics right behind them at plus 650. Milwaukee Bucks at plus 700. And then rounding out the top five odds favorites, you have the Brooklyn Nets and the LA Clippers at plus 750 apiece. So for all of that and more, head over to betonline.net to learn more about the trends and action available to you. BetOnline, it's where the game starts. And final segment here at Locked on NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day. Free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Joining us now is Andy Kamenetsky from Locked on Lakers. You can follow on Twitter at Cam Brothers. Now, Andy, let's start with uh, some off-the-court stuff for the LA Lakers, actually, and that's the extension for Rob Palenka carrying him through the 2025-2026 season. I'm just very curious to to understand the thought process that goes into extending Palenka when, at least to me, I, I don't know what screams, you know, yep, this is the guy that we want to extend and the guy that we want in charge of, you know, basketball operations moving forward for the next handful of years. Now, whether that's a guarantee that he stays, you know, a part of the organization through that date or, you know, maybe they're just going to end up paying him through that date. I don't know. That's a different discussion. But what what exactly goes into this decision to give Palinka that extension? Um, I'm just as curious about that as you are, to be totally honest. <laughs> I mean, look, let, let's start with what I think are positives about this. Regardless of how you feel about Rob Polinka, I just mean like in terms of from a like a logistical standpoint, pragmatic standpoint, if Rob Polinka isn't GMing for his job, that will prevent him from potentially making rash, desperate moves that you often see general managers do when they are GMing for their job. And it I feel like if you're going to have somebody working for you, they should be working for you under the best circumstances possible. And if you believe in Rob Palinka the way Jeannie Buss seems to, then you might as well at least avoid having him make moves that would be clearly short-term preserv- self-preservation type moves as opposed to what is best for this organization long and short-term. He has the ability to do that now, and his contract is now lined up with Darvin Ham's, which low-key I actually think uh, reflects the amount of juice that Darvin Ham already has in that building pretty quickly. Like he, I I think he has managed to establish a lot of gravitas very quickly, especially for an organization that has seemingly not given a rat's ass about who their coach is since Phil Jackson, and it's just been one big revolving door. Um, and they've seemed to treat them all as wholly disposable. Um, to answer the other part of your question of why you would do this with Rob Palinka specifically, I really don't know. I mean, I to be fair to Palinka, he was the you know he was running the show for basketball ops when they won a championship, and he should get some credit for that. If you're going to get blamed for everything that has gone badly since then, that's the way this works. He is attached to those ti- to that title, and there's no way around it. That being said, I think the Lakers could do better than him. I think if Rob Palinka was on the open market, he would not be getting calls anywhere else, or certainly not many. Um, and I think it is indicative of how Jeannie Buss looks first and foremost for personal relationships and personal comfort level in who she chooses to have as her inner circle over professional qualifications. I, you know, I think she would like 
these personal connections to also be good at their job. And I think she thinks they are. But first and foremost, I think she prioritizes that personal comfort ahead of the professional acumen. And I, it's not how I would go about doing this if I were her. I, and I can I can appreciate that line of thinking, especially kind of going off of what you said earlier, right? You, you show the commitment level to Palinka. That way you're not GMing, you know, one foot in, or it doesn't feel like you got one foot in, one foot out the door on him where he is making those more kind of short-sighted moves just to, hey, let me make sure I'm just good for the rest of this year, the rest of this season, through the deadline, whatever, so I don't get canned halfway through. Uh, you you mentioned, you know, Darvin Ham maybe having some, some, some organizational gravitas, maybe kind of, you know, laying down the framework, kind of imprinting himself upon this organization. Do you have any specific examples of what you mean by that? Or are you just talking about kind of going off of some of the some of the things that we've seen happening, like, you know, the the contracts lining up now with with Rob Palinka? Well, I think the contracts lining up are significant just because they're bothering to to try to create a situation where the coach and the front office are that directly aligned. Because again, they, they've tended to treat the coach as a very disposable position. I mean, it, it's been a revolving door since Phil Jackson. You know, Mike Brown, Mike D'Antoni, Byron Scott, Luke Walton, uh, Frank Vogel. Like the commonality between those five guys is there's no, there's no commonality. Like that that's really the biggest thing linking them. And it's often felt like they've had no idea what they wanted in a coach in part because I don't think they've cared that much about what they wanted in a coach because they're such a star-driven organization. They've often felt like, at the end of the day, stars are what lead to wins and everything else can sort of be rearranged, you know, like like the furniture, so to speak. Um, but I also think, too, just Darwin has been, uh, by all accounts and all appearances, emboldened and empowered to make the decisions that he wants to make. We've already seen, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this, you know, the the move towards at least experimenting with Russell Westbrook playing off the bench. You read which, me like a book, Andy. <laughs> well, that you told me what we we're going to talk about. <laughs> but it's, you know, it is sort of the obvious place to go. But, you know, that is to put it mildly a, you know, a delicate, small P poli- political uh, conundrum for, for Darvin Ham. And his relationship with the Lakers, however long it lasts, will outlast Russell Westbrook's relationship. So, you know, he's been empowered that way. He's somebody who just has, he commands an audience. Like Darvin Ham has a lot of presence. And, you know, th- this goes beyond just, you know, the time that I spent around him during the two seasons he was under Mike Brown and then Mike D'Antoni when he was an assistant with the Lakers. Just, He's had a reputation for a long time as somebody who had earned this type of opportunity in part because people respond to him. And I think we've seen that a lot over just a very short amount of time. He's been the head coach of the Lakers. Well, before we discuss Darvin Ham's monumental task of trying to get Russell Westbrook to buy into a new role, a realignment, if you will, using his word of choice, uh, I'll give you a second here to maybe dispel the issue that is currently that I think you dubbed uh, Huddlegate, which I think is absolutely hilarious <laughs> because I saw, I mean, everybody chirping, getting getting the takes off, getting the tweets off, Russell Westbrook, he's not huddling up. Like, please do us a favor. You know, is this something worth looking into or is it just clickbait headline grabbing? Content? Well, I, I will say um, 
I, especially the, I think this looks good in retrospect. Uh, Brian and I on Locked on Lakers, my brother and I, we co-host the show together. Um, when this happened, we were we both made a pretty big point of let's see what more comes from this. Because in the moment, I actually thought he might have been talking to the refs and didn't want to come over because of that because he, he had just had a foul called against him. So it's I thought that that might have been the reason that he was staying away. It turned out he was actually talking with the coaches, you know, along the bench. But either way, it, once you saw different angles, it was pretty clear what he was doing. Like he was not, you know, it, it didn't help that it was Patrick Beverly, of all people, trying to pull him into this huddle. Because, I mean, that's just the story that writes itself, despite the fact that, according to Patrick Beverly, they've been besties uh, since, since the Lakers traded for him. You know, they've just been... You know, the, like two peas Paul, in a pod. They've been Paul Rudd in that meme. You know, like who would have seen this? Not me. Like there that, you go. According to Patrick Beverly and the explanation that he gave uh, during his media introduction, or no, actually it was during a uh, media day because I actually asked him about this. Uh, some of the timeline that he used to explain when he and Russ actually became friends and their connection point doesn't line up with a lot of the feuding that we've seen. But whatever. Um, then there was also, you know, the pr- people saw Russell Westbrook, a clip of him staying away from the pregame huddle and, oh, my God, Russell Westbrook, he's staying, you know, he's already separating himself. He's unhappy. And then different angles came out that showed he actually had been a part of the pregame introductions, did his little, you know, uh, handshake thing, whatever, with LeBron, then goes off and does his own thing, which apparently Russ has done his whole career. And Russ is OCD about his rituals like this is what he does i'm sure you noticed this in the time that he was with the rockets like russ russ might be the most ocd guy in the league when it comes you know his car has to be parked in the exact right place the exact right angle at the facility before practice like he's renowned for this and he addressed this you know like think people are going to cut videos however they want. They're going to talk about whatever they want. I don't think it's a big deal in terms of what happened. I do think, though, it is really indicative of how he and this team are under a very powerful, omnipresent microscope. And it ain't it ain't going to be turned off anytime soon. Every little thing that this Lakers organization does between now and the deadline, and then it's only going to calm down at the deadline because then all the speculation can at least be stopped. And even then, it's going to continue in in a different capacity because it's going to be like, all right, well, you know, what what are the playoff out? You know, what's the playoff outlook actually look like now for this team, uh, depending on where they're at at that point in the season? But this this new role, this realignment that Darvin Ham is trying to get out of Russell Westbrook, we got. Uh, not even a full five-minute look at it before Russ wound up leaving the game a little bit early due to, I believe it was some hamstring tightness. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong there, he, Andy. Yeah. The hamstring discomfort. He's currently being listed as day-to-day. Uh, the expectation is that he's going to be available on Tuesday. They did an MRI. There's no structural damage. They, they, they were fairly confident in the moment that it wasn't that big of a deal. It just was, let's not take any chances. We're in our last preseason game we've already had a couple injuries so not going to push it 
Definitely the smart play to, you know, take things easy. You don't want to, you know, run a star ragged on a on a even slightly beleaguered hamstring in a preseason game that ultimately doesn't matter. But the idea of bringing Russ off the bench, I mean, that's that is a monumental task to try and get one Russell Westbrook to buy into. At least right now, does it feel like something that could potentially have some positive impact on this Lakers team? Well, I mean, it's funny. It felt like a band-aid that got halfway ripped off because, you know, it was partially ripped off in the way that uh, Darvin Ham went there. And it was something that had been uh, reported and then Darvin Ham acknowledged it's been discussed and Darvin's gone back and forth between emphasizing that this is something that's on the table to downplaying it. I see Russell Westbrook as a starter. Um, I think it would have been beneficial for everybody involved to get a, a bigger look at this, you know, for in terms of how it looked with the players that were available, building up Russ's comfort level to perhaps make him feel better about it, give uh, like LeBron and the other guys starting, you know, more of an opportunity to play without Russ in that lineup. I, I It was very unfortunate beyond the fact that Russ has that hamstring issue now. It's very unfortunate that they weren't able to get a full look at this but yeah, I, I do think that it is something that they're going to be mulling over a lot, if not potentially going for this in opening night, you know, the, the opening night lineup. I I honestly don't know which direction they're going to go with it. Um, I think Darwin has been very smart and diplomatic in not committing one way or the other, but always talking up Westbrook. Like he, you talked about before, he said, it's a realignment. It's not a demotion. And that might feel very, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow, Chris Martin, conscious on coupling, you know, feels very goop speak, but I, it's very though consistent with the way Darwin has talked up Russell Westbrook as a player, as a professional, as a man, and, you know, as somebody of high character and, as somebody who's going to be buying into the things that they want to do. And truth be told, if you can put enough shooting and I think a role man around a unit that Russell Westbrook is going to have the ball more, he might thrive in ways that he's going to have a more difficult time just finding a comfort zone with LeBron and with AD because the ball is only going to be out of those two guys' hands so often rightly. So that I do think there is a chance that it, it could actually benefit Russ if he can get past, you know, the optics of it, but also too, like we talked about before, Russ is very much a creature of habit and is not somebody who I think takes to change easily. So, I mean, you're, you know, your time with the Rockets, they, they redid a lot just to try to put him in a comfort zone. So, you know what this is like. Will Russell Westbrook be in the starting lineup come opening night for the LA Lakers or will the realignment take effect and will he be coming off the bench? Will Darvin Ham be able to get Russ to buy into this new role, this new identity? Of course, you're going to have to cover for all that and more over at Locked on Lakers. Andy, I appreciate you stopping my Locked on NBA with me. Anytime, man. Thanks.
That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all podcast platforms. We're also on YouTube. Just search up Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.